The Scottish philosopher Thomas Carlyle once said, show me the man you honor and I will know what kind of man you are. The Scottish theologian Henry Scogel said, the excellency of a soul is determined by the object of its love. Well, if these two proverbs are true, then the way we respond to God's fifth commandment will be very revealing about us as a people and as a society. See, the placement of the Ten Commandments, believe it or not, is itself very unusual. Depending on which set of scholars you ask, if you ask Jewish scholars, as five and five. And so they couple our duty and honor to God and our duty and honor to the world, and they have honoring your father and mother in the first set of five, clearly locking it in as our duty and honor to God. Well, this makes sense because the reasoning is, how can you honor God who you do not see if you don't honor your father and mother whom you do see? So by putting the fifth commandment in this first kind of category of our duty to God, the Jewish scholars show that parental authority is divinely established by God and is integral in showing our reverence for the Lord Himself. Now, other people divide the Ten Commandments a bit differently. They kind of have it divided as four and six, Commandments one through four, dealing with God, Commandments six and on, uh, dealing with uh, the rest of humanity. Yet, in the place of priority is your number five, honoring father and mother. And so, when it comes to honoring the world, honoring mom and dad are number one. Still others divide the commandments even differently still as three and seven. So commandments one, two, and three directly relating to God and the remaining six to the world and the fourth commandment that we looked at last week as kind of a hinge commandment where heaven and earth meet and our love for God and duty for God is expressed equally to God and to one another by observing as we talked about Sabbath or Sunday. Either way, no matter how you divide the Ten Commandments, honor to father and mother is the highest priority when it comes to earthly relationships. So the question we have to ask is, why is honoring our father and mother so high on God's list of commandments? Now, I know it's easy to just kind of respond, kind of knee-jerk, say, well, it's, it's family, right? It's just the right thing to do. And while we might resonate with that response, that's really not an answer. That's just reasserting the question more as a statement. We want to answer the question, why do we honor father and mother? And the Bible gives us clear answers on this. We honor father and mother for the roles they play in a life, the life of their children, primarily, as Scripture teaches us, as teachers and shepherds of their lives. We honor father and mother for the position of authority they play in our society. We honor father and mother for the blessings that flow when a son or daughter listens to mom and dad. And so for those reasons, we honor our fathers and mothers. Now, as is our tradition, every, mor every Sunday morning, a bunch of the elders gather and we pray, and as typically what happens is as we're talking about the morning's day, or talking about the morning, talking about the sermon and wh what things are going to look like today, I'm always reminded of the 10 or 15 things that I probably should have put in the sermon that I didn't, you know, and this morning was no, other ex was no exception to the rule. Questions like, uh, what about the limits and style of honoring and obedience at different stages of life? What's it look like to honor your father and mother when you're seven compared to 17 to 27 or 37? What's it look like when you're single or married and, and the very stages of life? And there's so many more questions that could be asked that I'm actually not going to address directly. My goal in the short 30 minutes that we have 
is to whet your appetite. It is to set the table to provide you with the framework to think about this issue in a way that in your community groups and maybe in your home conversations around the dinner table, you begin to flesh out with your other understanding of God's Word. There's just simply too much to say, so much to say on any one of these commandments than we can give in a morning 30, 45-minute sermon. But I do want to make three points this morning in keeping with the trajectory of our series. Number one, I want to talk about the command itself, right? This is a series on the Ten Commands, so we need to at least read and think about the command itself. I want to talk about the results and the implications of the command. And then finally, our failure and the fulfillment of the command. Because as we've been going through this series, we recognize that the Ten Commandments are not given to humanity so that we know, okay, this is the bar, now try and reach it. And so, create an idea that we have to work hard for our salvation. In a lot of ways, the Ten Commandments has been given to us to show us you're never going to reach it. You need a Savior, right? So, how often do we hear in the news people say, well, you know, I try to obey the Ten Commandments. That's nice, but you're missing the point if you think by obeying the Ten Commandments secures you a place with God because you cannot do it. And so we can't ever think think about the commandments without thinking about how do we actually fail in this way? And because we're Christians, we also have to think about then how is it fulfilled for us, right? So that's the way we're going to look at it this morning. So let's take a look at Exodus chapter 20. You should be there if you're using our pew Bibles. It's page 61. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 this morning is the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So if you've been at this church for a while, uh, the word honor should be familiar to you by now. It is a word that we saw often in our study of 1 Samuel. It is the Hebrew word for glory. It's the Hebrew word chavod. Literally, every time you see in the Old Testament the word group of honor and glory, it is this Hebrew word chavod, which literally means in the language, wait, To honor one's father and mother means to recognize that they are people of substance, of weightiness, right? To honor someone is to recognize they have substance to them. There's a weightiness to them. In other words, you don't make light of mom and dad. See that expression? You've all heard that in our culture. Even our very common expression, you don't make light of these people, draws from that Hebrew idiom, that they have weight, they have substance to them. When you take someone seriously, you weigh what they say because their opinion carries a lot of weight to you. You guys get the point. We've all heard this everywhere. It's the same concept. So you're very familiar with this term, what it means to give honor to your father and mother. In the New Testament, it clearly spells it out. It means we respect them. We treat them with deference. We care for them as necessary in their old age, particularly in these cultures where uh, you didn't have welfare, social systems, social security systems. The, the livelihood, the survival of the elderly depended upon the young, and to honor them was to care for them in their old age. And for some of you, that is still a reality. And so obeying the fifth commandment looks like actually financially supporting your parents. And as we see in the news, more and more people realizing they're hitting their retirement years and have not saved for it. Well, God has built in a social security system of the best kinds called the family. Some of you, that may cramp your lifestyle. You're going to have to deal with that. If you're going to be obedient to God's Word, that's what the Bible commands of us. 
Others of you are doing that beautifully, and I sent text messages saying, you have been an example to me as being so far from my family, it's hard to live out some practical details the way I've seen some of you honor your parents. It's been beautiful. But let's look at three reasons why we honor them, practically speaking. Number one, mom and dad, father and mother are the hub of the basic unit of, of the basic social unit of society. No culture, no society can stand. No nation will be strong if the family is weak. This is beyond argument. This is empirical evidence. It's clear everywhere. Now, I really want to unpack this and when we talk about the implications and the results of the command. So let's just kind of pause. We just want to say the reason we honor father and mother, they are the hub of the most basic social unit in our society, right? A lot of times I say, I compare in the church, that elders of a church are like mom and dad of a family. If, if mom and dad are doing okay, there's a lot of things that can go wrong and you'll be fine. Conversely, if mom and dad aren't doing well, doesn't matter how great things are on the outside, you've got problems, right? Because they hold things together. They're the hub. So we give them honor because mom and dad are the center of the family, which is the basic social unit in our culture. Secondly, the family is the basic spiritual unit of society as well, in which God makes parents, their children's teachers and shepherds. Think about that. That, that the, the home, the family, is not just the building block of the social unit, it's the building block of the spiritual unit of all society. And God holds moms and dads as the primary teachers and shepherds of their children. No more clear scripture we see than Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, often called the great Shema amongst the Jews. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, you can see from, from hearing, reading Deuteronomy, the idea is that, hey, God's word, God's commands, we, moms, dads, you're diligently teaching them. You're not just teaching them, you're diligently teaching them. And did you notice how he follows it up with, hey, when you're walking by the way, when you're waking up, when you're going, lying down, every aspect of your life, surrounds imparting God's truth to your kids. There are other passages we could look at, but this is a primary passage that shows that it is the responsibility of moms and dads to shepherd their children in the most important of all matters. Friends, it's clear as we look at Deuteronomy that the primary responsibility to disciple your kids is the parents first, then to the church, right? So, in Old Testament times, it was to the parents first, then to the, the broader Jewish community, the Hebrew community. In New Testament times, it is the parents first, still, then to the church. Now, dads, you don't need to be, you don't need to be John MacArthur or Alistair Begg or D.A. Carson any more than moms need to be a, a Nancy Guthrie or Jen Wilkin or Melissa Kruger. You don't need to be fantastic Bible teachers. Just be faithful. 
I mean, just, just open up God's Word and muddle through it if you have to, but do it. Let your kids see that it's so important to you that you're willing to, to take time out of your busy schedule to teach them God's Word. Let me just give you a, a hot tip. So, for those of you who know, I was a youth worker, youth pastor for 10 years, give or take three or four, depending if you consider college students and young adults as uh, youth. Uh, but I spent a lot of time working with them, and when I would find a kid that was just solid, or a young man or young woman that was just solid, and if I knew they came from a good Christian home, which in my early years of ministry was really rare because all my kids were non-Christians, I would always ask them, though, because looking forward to the day that one day I might be a dad, I would say, what did your mom or dad do? If you had to distill it down to one thing, what did they do that helped you own your faith as your own? And you know, the details were always slightly different, but there was one theme that always, always came through, faithfulness. They didn't say mom or dad were fantastic. They didn't say they were awesome. They just said they were faithful. And the details changed. It was maybe, maybe faithful in Bible reading, family devotions, maybe faithful in praying for them before they went to bed, maybe faithful in, in various different ways, but the underlying theme that always came out was my mom and or my dad was faithful. Day in, day out. Five minutes here, ten minutes there. It was a long obedience in the same direction year after year after year after year that made an indelible mark upon these young people. A couple months ago, I sent a letter out to the parents of the students of our church as we're kind of transitioning from Jared Burke to another uh, uh, person in our student ministries. And I, and I shared with them the results of the Fuller Theological Seminary out in Pasadena that came out of their what, a, a longitudinal study, which is a fancy word to say very long and very deep. And in this longitudinal study of eight years, they followed 500 young men and women from their junior year in high school to two years after college or equivalent age. That, and of the 500, of all the ones that were still walking with the Lord, the seminary asked, if you had to distill just one thing, there was a list of 10, but the shocking thing was, what was the one thing mom and dad did that ensured that your Christian faith would be your own? Guess what it was? It was tied into last week's commandment. The one thing of 500 young men and women still walking with the Lord after an eight-year study out of their family's home, the one thing that they all pointed to as a factor was that they were in corporate worship with their families. Corporate worship. Now, the researchers per, per, prodded further and found out that what it was, was every week these young people saw, actually saw with their eyes, mom and dad engage in worship of God, effectually using their emotions and the music. They saw mom and dad give sacrificially by writing checks they saw mom and dad intently engage in hearing the Word of God, and when they saw it reinforced at home, they made the connection. They saw mom and dad do these things week in, week out, every week, month after month, year after year for 18 years, 936 weeks in total. That's kind of the number from zero to 18, 936 weeks. They said that had the most indelible impact as they reflected back. They wouldn't have said that then, but as they looked at the research and reflected back, they said of one factor, that was the most powerful factor, being in a community where they saw people doing this. Moms and dads 
our role is to be our children's disciples. Do it however you can. Do it in whatever way you can. Just be faithful to do it. Again, it's not about being fantastic. It's about being faithful, right? For those of you who have been members here, for, if you've been noticing what we've been doing during membership last couple of years, whenever we're going to receive new members, I line them up here and during our members' meetings. Does anybody know what the one question I ask incoming members? Anybody? Yes. The question I ask is I have them go down and say, who was the most influential person in your life in leading you to Christ? And part of the reason I do that is I want all of us to see the way God works. It's, it's all of us together working in the lives of people. But usually there comes, rises up somebody, and more often than not, who do we hear? Mom and dad. It's, it's beautiful when it's both. I'll take either one. But we see that happening time and time again. It was my mother or it was my father. So I do want to give you uh, some practical tips on this. You're saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I want to do that. I want to do a better job. I want to do a good job of discipling my kids. I just don't know how. What do I do? So if you leave the church, we see this book spot back here. And if you're new, I'm not plugging our wares. I'm, I really genuinely want to see you guys flourish. I would say just read one of these two books to your kids, 10 minutes every day. 10 minutes every day. The Jesus Storybook Bible or the Big Picture Story Bible. This is my personal copy. It's already kind of fallen apart. This, just spend 10 minutes a day reading these things to your kids. You're not going to get moralized stories from this, folks. You're going to get the gospel message. Do you remember five weeks ago when we did a sermon on biblical theology? I, I kind of wanted to recommend this book. If you're new to biblical theology, you should read this kid's book. Now, I didn't because that could kind of be insulting because we like to read more heady theological tomes, and we have them out there. But if you're new to understanding the storyline of the Bible, this is the best book out there because it's written for kids who don't know anything, and you've got to get it in a way that makes sense. So good is this book of reminding you of the story of the Bible that this is years past the age of my kids. A year and a half ago, as a family, we all read through it again. It's that good. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, my kids are, are a little bit older than that, or they want to go deeper than that. What should I do? And my best suggestion to you, this is something that the road heavers do, is a, uh, if you're a tech person, there's this thing called the New City Catechism. And if you have a, an iPhone or an Android phone, you can download this. I, honestly, it probably costs you two bucks or something like that. So, but it's well worth it. It has 52 questions out of the year. And they give you the question, they give you the answers, they give you scripture verses, things you can follow up on. And they used to have videos by some of the greatest like theologians and pastors out there that you could watch. We'd put it on our TV and watch it. And here's the great thing with this, friends. Just if you're like me and you know you have great ideas that always don't always cash out, you can lose track of where you're at, right? Because this is designed at one week, a question a week every year. You forget what week you're on, what question you're on. I do that all the time. So on your smartphone, on your calendar, you just turn this feature on that says weekly numbers. So like this is week 30. So guess what question we're going to talk about at the Road Eaver House from the app? Question 30. See how easy that works. Anything you do, this will take you 10 minutes at the dinner table, five minutes at the dinner table. Do whatever works for you, but do it, moms. Do it, dads, because the Bible's saying this is why you're honored because you're shepherding their soul. Yes, teach them to change the oil in the car.
You guys still have cars that do that, right? Teach them to change the oil. Teach them to cook a meal. Teach them to catch a ball. Teach them to drive the car. Yes, teach them to do English. Teach them to do math. Teach them to understand history. Teach them to balance their, uh, not checkbook, finance app, right? Teach them about hygiene. Teach them about the birds and bees. But above all these things, teach your kids the gospel. Teach them of the supremacy of Christ and the imperial majesty of God himself because what good will it do them to be well-groomed, well-educated, and not know the meaning of life or their maker? What good will it do them to get a scholarship to some university, some top-tier Ivory League school, and deny their master? Teach them the gospel above all else. This is why God says fathers and mothers are to be honored because they are the foundation of the spiritual unit that creates strong societies. And if if you feel like you have not been doing a good job of that, let's talk. I'll bring you some elders. There's some men in this church that have done a great job of it. Get going after it. You will not regret any of that time you put into it. Okay, third Third reason that we honor our fathers and mothers is children do, in fact, owe their parents a huge debt of gratitude for years of care and provision. If you're a parent, you know this. All the countless sleepless nights caring for your child who might have been sick, all the diapers you've changed. I mean, that alone, diapers, man. Now, I don't know what happened. Like, I can change my kids' diapers. But man, I walked around, I can't change without the kids' diapers. I'm just, I'm almost feeling the, my water, mouth's watering. Um, <laughs> diapers, staying up with them, caring for them, the sacrifices you've made, the decisions you've made not to advance your career so that you had time to spend with your son or daughter. All these things, parents have sacrificed for their children. These are the things we can't put a price tag on, can we? And so you owe your parent, your mother and father, honor for all the things that you don't know about. Maybe they've told you a few, but there's so much they haven't told you. You can't put a price tag on those things. But other things you can, so let's talk about that. Do you know how much it costs to raise a child in this day and age from zero to 17? The U.S. government has helped us out by releasing a study. The USDA released a study recently, and the total cost of raising a child, Tom, is $233,610, not including college. (laughs) So, uh, our household, we have three kids. I got to come up with $700,000 to raise these children. (laughs) It costs a lot to raise our kids, doesn't it? But it's not so much the material aspect. That's just something we can put a number on. It's all the intangibles that our mothers and fathers have given to us, especially those who have given us the gospel and modeled it for us. That's why we honor our fathers and mothers. They are the hub of society. They are the hub of our spiritual life. They have given us care and provision in ways we cannot begin to fathom. So the command is pretty straightforward. Now we need to talk a little bit about the results and the implications of the command. One of the clear realities is, as I said earlier in point two, that the family is the hub. It's it's the basic unit of of society. And what I mean by that is children need the guidance of their parents. They need that instruction. Even if they uh, may not think that they do, they impoverish themselves when they don't listen to mom and dad. We know this is clear. Scripture tells us this. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear my son... 
Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For there are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Notice what's implied here is that the father, and speaking for the mother, are actually instructing the children. I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard many times parents say to me, usually when it comes to things like religion or faith, it sounds pious. It goes something like this. I I don't want to choose for them. I want my son or daughter to make their own choice in life. Have you heard something like that? It sounds really enlightened. And to which I respond and say, so do you let your child make their own choice of whether or not they should play in the street? Right? Do you let your child make their own choice as to what they do with how they eat? So let's not say that it's pious to let our children make their own decisions when it comes to matters of faith that are monumentally more important. Furthermore, children cannot make their own decisions if you're not taking them to find out what the options are, right? So we want to instruct our kids. We don't want to be glib as the culture is when it comes to parenting. God has made us the parent. If you're a father and mother, the reason you are honored is because you are teaching your children wisdom. The implied idea is that you're getting wisdom for yourself as well. And we see that in the Proverbs. The implication is this man is teaching his children. By the way, if you want to teach your kids and you're not sure where to go in the Bible, Proverbs chapters 1 through 7 is literally written from a dad to instruct his son about life. I mean, so, I mean, friends, that's being thrown right to the numbers right there. Literally, read them Proverbs 1 through 7. There's one chapter a day, seven days in a week. Read one chapter a day, seven days a week. Do it every week. Rinse and repeat, and you'll have a wise son. Proverbs 6, verse 20, my son or daughter, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. This sounds a lot like Deuteronomy. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and a teaching, a light, and the reproves of discipline are the way of life. The principle that makes the fifth commandment so critical for the family and the society is that, and we see this implied in the Proverbs here, is that the commandment is teaching children and thus future adults how to be beings under authority and receive instruction. The principle that makes the fifth commandment so potent for the family and for society is that it is teaching children, which are future adults, how to be beings under authority and to receive instruction. In other words, commands one through four is is talking about our submission to God by esteeming Him, prioritizing Him, not taking His name in vain, all these things, submitting ourselves to Him, there's always a practical way that that submission shows and manifests itself in our daily lives, and it begins with mom and dad. It begins with mom and dad. In other words, friends, what I'm saying is that the family is the first first sphere, the first arena where the effects of the fall are being combated actively. The effects of the fall, what was it? Remember our fight against God in Genesis 3? It was, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't want to image you, God. I want to be you. It was the fight against His authority. 
and the family is the first sphere that you are actively combating the effects of the fall in the life of that child. So the fifth commandment is teaching us not just honor mom and dad in and of itself alone, it is teaching us to be a people under authority and to take instruction. So when I became a dad for the first time 17 years ago, when we started having our kids, Lori and I committed that no matter what, I, I, I wasn't concerned if they talked with their mouth full, I didn't care if they farted at the dinner table, I don't care if they take their clothes off at the mall. When they were 10 and they were doing that, that was a problem. But before that, just kidding, I didn't care about those things. What I did care about was this, that each of my kids knew that they were under authority. That was my North Star. I said, honey, by the time our kids are five years of age, they have got to learn. If they don't learn anything else, they have got to learn they are under authority. Now, Lori cared if they talked with their mouth full. Lori cared if they farted at the table, so I knew I could emphasize this more. But I said, they've got to be under authority because if they don't learn this lesson, their lives will not go well. And so we talk to them. Kids, when we talk about obedience, we call it the CDEs. It's, out, it's without challenge, without delay, without excuse. When dad asks you, you answer the first time in action and attitude. If I ask a second time, that's not obedience. That's just fancy disobedience. When I ask without challenge, without delay, without excuse, you hop to it. Not because I was a military man, not because dad's all that in the bag of chips, it's because when you learn to respond to my authority, you are learning to respond to the, the authorities in your life, God being supreme of them. If you learn to ignore my voice, you will learn to ignore God's voice. And so this was the common mantra all through our, all there, that's all we talked about. That's all I talked about. But here's the thing. It's not that I didn't care about those other things, friends. But here's the reality. If your kids learn to be under authority, those other things, a piece of cake hundredfold easy to take care of those things. Because why? They learn what it is to say, yes, sir. If that's what you say, I'm going to obey. See, I couldn't chase 10,000 different things. I want to chase the one thing. The Bible says you are a being under authority just as I am. This is how humanity went horribly wrong to begin with. We, we threw off the shackles of God's authority. We thought we were God. If you learn to be under authority, you're going to be blessed. So, Lori and I do a lot of premarital counseling. Is there any couple here that we've done premarital counseling? Anybody? Do you remember? Back there, James. Where's your bride? Where's your beautiful bride? No, you, her, what, her, what happened? Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, James, do you remember? I mean, I said, where's your beautiful bride? And he went, like, oh, okay. Um, I'm just kidding. Do you remember, James, putting you on the spot, okay, what was the first question I asked Danny about you? He was, okay, I guess my premarital counseling ain't that impressive. The first question I asked, don't worry, Jenny didn't, or Adam, or Hunter didn't remember either. The first question I asked premarital couples, I come to us counseling, I look to the young lady, who's all excited to marry this man, and I kind of have to pop the balloon here, I'm like, have you seen this man under authority? Have you seen this man submit to somebody else? And if she answers no, I said, then you better not think about marrying this man until you've seen it and until you see that he can submit to authority and he is, can be a man under authority. Do you know why? Because if he cannot submit to authority, life will not go well for your family. I started asking that question to women too. 
It used to be something I just asked, or I asked it to men. I used to ask it just to the women, but I've been asking it to men too. Have you seen her under authority? Have you seen her submit? Because if she cannot submit, if she cannot thrive under the authority of someone else, don't think it's going to happen under your leadership. Friends, this is how important the issue of authority is. This is why primary to when we start going from the, horizon, the vertical to the horizontal, God says, honor your father and mother. Because of this issue of authority, that's the first place that the, the effects of the fall are going to be crushed. If they can thrive under authority, life will go well with them because they will thrive under the most important authority, and that's God's Word. If they learn to listen the first time when they read the Word of God that says, when, 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 when Solomon says to his young son, avoid the immoral woman, he says, you got it, I'll do that. I may not understand why all the time, but you tell me to do that, I'm doing it, and your life will flourish. And the Bible says, do not sow seeds of discord, and he reads that or she reads that. She says, okay, got it. I'm not going to take part of the gossip rumor mill. I, just, I may not understand why. I got some juicy dirt here, but I'm going to keep that in. They're going to flourish if they learn to submit to the authority of their life. That's the principle that behind the, the, fifth, the fifth commandment, which by extension, friends, goes into society. So this fifth commandment governs how we relate to our government too. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 17, um, I'm not going to read them. I just want you to know I'm just not making this up whole cloth. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, we have to respect the officers of the law, the representatives of the states. We should be praying for our politicians, obeying the laws, paying our taxes, we live in a culture where it's, it's like popular to, to, to whine and complain and be a brat because you didn't get your political win one thing or another. It's, it's, it's horrible, and Christians do it too. Whether or not you voted for so-and-so is not the point. They're the authority. God placed them there. If you believe the Bible, God placed them there. Even if you don't like them, pray for them. And submit to them to the degree they're not asking you to compromise Scripture, Acts chapter 4. You owe them your honor and obedience. The fifth commandment pushes not just to how we relate to the state, but our jobs. Do you honor your boss? Do you respect your employer? Or do you take part of the water cooler mick, mick, mick about how bad they are? They don't do this or whatever. If you're a Christian, you should be ashamed because you're violating God's command. You can be a witness for Christ by simply obeying the fifth commandment and honoring your employer. Friends, if you're familiar with the structure of Ephesians, it's no wonder that Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul's talking about submission halfway through the chapter, right? Submission and the basically authority and submission, and talks about in chapter 6, spiritual warfare. Paul's not having a senior moment. What he's doing is he realizes where the spiritual battle is going to take place is in all these areas of authority and submission. That's why we have Ephesians 6 following Ephesians 5 when he talks about husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and slaves, because he knows where the battle's going to wage fiercest is when all these mini-gods have to submit, because our nature, thanks to Genesis 3, is we do not want to submit to the authorities above us. And so the fifth commandment is trying to fight back that starting in the home, and it spreads out from the home to the state, to your work, and also to your churches. Being part of a local church requires submission, submission to your elders and to your deacons. 
submitting to those who serve as your spiritual leaders, 1 Timothy 5, 17. I know you might be thinking, well, this is very, has a lot of self-interest here, pastor. I'm not sharing it with you because I happen to be an elder in this church. I'm sharing it with you because God's Word commands this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, pray for your spiritual leaders, encourage them, assist them in fighting for the spiritual progress of this church, of your church, accept their counsel and discipline with humility and with joy. Now, in a room this size, there's probably somebody looking for a local church here. So I, I want to serve you well, and this is kind of a bit of an impersonal, but I want to serve you well by saying, don't be asking all the wrong questions, like, do you like the music? Do they have stadium seating or pews? Is it in a cafeteria? Do they have their own building? We tend to ask all the wrong questions about churches. Ask the tr question, what kind of elders do they have? What kind of men are they like? Because at the end of the day, to be a member, a thriving member of a local church means to be in covenant community, which means those elders are going to be your spiritual leaders who have to give account for your soul. Hebrews 13, 17 says that. Obey your leaders. So you know what I want my kids to read when they read Scripture, when they leave the home, when they go into a local church? Okay, i got to obey my leaders. So if my elder, my pastor gives me a directive, I want to obey that. Unless it's contrary to Scripture, I want to obey that because, and, and I want to submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That to me, the elders, we're just talking about this last Monday, that last line is the most frightening line. I know you, you think I probably like the first three words. Not really. Those last, nine, that middle nine words are frightening as those who have to give an account. Because we do. Which is why membership is so important here. I can't keep account of, well, if you're here or you're not, are you coming or going? I don't know. But I can give account for those who said, literally, I'm signing my name and I'm locking arms with you. I'm a member here. We're going to give account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I just am glad to say, we do it with joy. There's no groaning at our elder meetings. We do it with joy. Thank you. I don't know if I have any elders in this service. Do I have any of you guys, any elders in this hour? No elders in this hour? None of them? Well, okay, yeah, well, you, you got to be here. You're in the camera. So, <laughs> well, I got to talk to those guys. But I was going to say on behalf of those guys, thank you, because you guys beautifully follow our leadership. We know it's not perfect. We know it's flawed. But thank you for loving us well that way. Um, finally, we should learn to do these things, so state, family, uh, um, employers, even church, even if those people misuse their authority and are not worthy of your respect. That, that doesn't give us license to ignore God's Word. Now, let's be clear. All authority is intended to be used as God designed it because all authority is derived authority, right? So none of us have authority in and of ourselves. That's why as a parent, as a father and mother, you can never say, because I said so. Nah. can never do that because that makes you the authority. And guess what? You don't have authority. I don't have authority as your pastor. I have derived authority as your pastor. You have derived authority as a parent, as a representative of God in their life. All authority comes from Him. None of it is our own. And so we steward it according to His precepts and demands, right? So, so states have to protect its citizenry because God protects. Elders serve their people because God serves. Managers should care for their employees because God provides. That's what we have to do. 
So we have, to do, we have to function this way, even though we're living in a fallen world where we don't see perfect authority being used that way, even in the home. So which reminds me, we've got to address something. What if for you, um, you don't come from a, a home where you were taught God's Word? Maybe, maybe you don't have mothers and fathers that were worthy of honor. I understand. I come from the same situation. My father, I honor him, love him, but some of you know my story. Uh, between my friends, our parents literally, my parents were, they were racist, they were drunks, they were adulterers. And I'm not saying that flippantly, they were that way and before they came to Christ. Hebrews, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, it's great, but that's what they were. But you know where we found parents, where I found a father? In the local church. I saw guys parenting their, their children, I saw guys loving their wives. And if you're in that situation, God's grace is for you in the local church. This is why the local church matters. This is why when I see a family in our church pick up some kid who's at a tough spot and sits with them in service, I think that's what the local church is about. When I see the slemmers bringing into their family foster care kids and it's inconvenient and it's hard, I say that's what the local church is about. When I see mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters doing things for others like a mother and father and brother and sister, I say that's God's family that's the family we need to fight for and pursue with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And look, it's already 12 o'clock and we're, I haven't even gotten to the third point. Let's just say this. We have failed, like all the commandments, we've failed the fifth one. None of us are the perfect child, but Jesus is. If you trust in Jesus, you are keeping the fifth commandment because Jesus just didn't pay the price for your failure to keep it. He kept it on your behalf. From the manger to the cross, Jesus was the perfect child, not just to his earthly parents, but to his heavenly parents. The reason he's a perfect Savior, friends, is because he was the perfect child. He did it all, and he did it for you and I. That doesn't, that doesn't slack us off. That doesn't release our responsibility. If you have a parent, you still owe them the honor due to them, appropriate to your context. And if you are a parent, you still have the responsibility to fulfill the roles we talked about appropriate to your context. And our prayer as elders is that we would be a church where mothers and fathers are honored and mothers and fathers are honorable. That will be a witness to the world, wouldn't it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as it continues to open our eyes and enlighten us, encourage us, and convict us. Father, we do fail against these commands, but Christ succeeded. Our hope is not being perfect sons and daughters. Our hope is being adopted by Jesus Christ into your family who was a perfect son. Father, I pray that we, that being said, though, our desire to give, bring glory to you would be shown in the way we treat our mothers and fathers, young and old alike, that we would be countercultural in that we display your character as we obey your word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.